This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and we have a special co-host again today. We have Dusty. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing really well. And today we're going to talk about cognitive biases, behavioral economics. And this is kind of part two. We recorded one a little while back. Had a great time. We didn't make it through all of these. So we're, we're back for another one. I don't even think we're going to finish today. So we'll link up so folks could check out that other episode. But Dusty, for the people that didn't catch the first one yet, who are you? I am Dusty Young, a local Longmont resident. Um, yeah, I work in the financial wellness space. I really enjoy living in Longmont. You guys can see I'm also currently petting Doug's dog, Georgie. So if you see my hand under the table, that's what I'm doing. It's all above board. <laughs> yes. And, and Georgie is, um, she really wants to play. So we're going to see how she does. If you hear a squeaky toy, uh, that is her. It's, it's uh, not one of us. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I, I threatened to take Georgie upstairs and then she looked at us both very, I don't know, with a puppy dog eyes. She was just perfect. She's like, oh, if you don't take me upstairs, I will just lay here and let you pet me. So as soon as we hit record, she started squeaking the damn toy again, but <laughs> we'll see. It's, it's really cool if she would just like lay down and be a mascot, but she's like, uh-huh. I want to actively play. And she doesn't understand about the red light of recording in here. It's a professional studio. It's very professional. It's about as professional as we get. And uh, before we, before we uh, jump in, have you been on any other podcasts? Like you were on mine, you've been on a couple others, right? Yeah, I was recently on. (laughs) So our friend Annie has a podcast about Longmont. It's called Side Dish. I highly recommend everyone checking it out. Maybe you could avoid my episode, which is alluding (laughs) to. Um, But I recorded an episode about dating in Longmont. Cool. I haven't listened to it yet, but I have it downloaded. So it's in the queue. I'll check it out. All right. You ready to get started here? I'm ready. Okay. So the first one here is scarcity mindset, and I'll kind of read the definition and then I'll let you talk about it just a little bit. So the tendency for people who lack a resource to focus on that resource and carry a larger cognitive load. What do you think? How does that come into play for FIRE? I think a lot of people in the FIRE community are so focused on hitting their goal that they do have the scarcity mindset. We worry that we're not going to have enough. We need to continue to scrimp and save and make sure that we're tucking that money aside. And we forget about the opportunity to give and to really, I know Doug and I were talking about this book earlier called Die With Zero that we both just finished. And that's the whole goal. It's like at some point you can actually spend more than you're earning. And that's hard for us to think about. You know, because instead it's, it is this scarcity mindset of what if I don't have enough? What if I can't actually retire? What if I run out of money? Did you have a scarcity mindset like 
growing up or maybe like your early adult years? Yeah, my family grew up where I grew up is very small and my parents didn't make a lot of money. So we certainly had that scarcity mindset. I think it was really hard to be generous with money. So instead, we learned to be generous with time and kindness and the things that you could do that didn't cost a lot because there was a scarcity mindset around money. And I think my parents still have it. Do you, are you around anyone that has that scarcity mindset? Yeah, I think, I think Elizabeth has a scarcity mindset, uh, like even still. And I'm thinking about the scarcity in a different way. Like you alluded to like giving and sharing and stuff, but I'm looking at it as like, there's not enough for everyone. Like I need to like Mm -hmm. get what's mine or like get what I can. And there's not never going to be enough. And I think, I think I had that mindset until I started uh, like my side hustles and entrepreneurship where I, I realized like there's so many opportunities. There's, there's so much that you can do. Like you could literally like give away ideas and help like help people out. There's really like hardly any competitors. There's just other people that you can work with. So ev- eventually I, I think I realized, you know, an, an abundance mindset versus scarcity. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Like we could, you know, miss some of the numbers, some of the assumptions with the 4% rule or whatever, or like a market downturn. I'm not really that worried because I see there's like an abundance of opportunity out there versus any kind of scarcity that I need to worry about. We have friends that are going through this right now. They are purchasing a property and kind of the same thing. You know, one of them is getting ready to leave their job and it's like, okay, this is a mindset shift because I'm so accustomed to having this job and knowing that I have enough and I have to step out into the unknown and trust that there is an abundance. There are going to be opportunities. I can do this. Yep. And I think we all suffer from this. I mean, I'm still working and I work because I do worry about that. I'm like, well, what if I do run out of money or I can't do what I want to do or I can't be generous because I have a cash flow problem? Right. How do you um how do you address that or what do you do? I actually have a gratitude journal um that I fill out every morning. And it asks you to put down uh, three things that you're really grateful for, three people that you really appreciate. So it has these prompts and that keeps me in a better mindset. And I can tell if I skip it for a couple of days, I'm like, oh, yep, I'm off. I need to get back. Okay, that's cool. How how long have you done the gratitude journal? It was one of my New Year's resolutions. So our last podcast was right before New Year's resolutions. And this was one of mine was to fill out this journal every day. Okay, nice. And are you, I guess you're planning on like keeping it up sort of indefinitely? Mm-hmm. Cool. I did a similar, I did like the a five minute journal type thing. Yeah. Same, same deal. Like the bullet journal kind of thing. Yeah. And it, I think at some point, some of my, the gratitude um, items were redundant. <laughs> I was like, I did this one a few weeks ago, which doesn't mean it's not effective. Like it still draws you towards like a positivity mindset versus like, complaining about something <laughs> so yeah um, but yeah eventually i was just like i think this is redundant and i stopped doing it but cool i hope not to stop if i do maybe i'll come back to you and you can be like okay you <laughs> you are a much better dusty when you're doing this <laughs> yeah and it could be also like 
to shift it into something else, not so like instead of a like a gratitude item, maybe it's like a thing that you could do for someone else. I don't know, mm-hmm. but still in the positive mindset. Yeah. I just I ran into a brick wall with it, I guess. So okay, cool. Anything else with scarcity? No, I'm excited to talk about the next one. This one is called the what the hell effect. And that's the tendency to give up on a goal once progress has been disrupted. So -hmm. what do you think about this? So I'm thinking it's Girl Scout cookie season. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a great example of the what the hell effect. Because once you buy a box of peanut butter tagalongs and you open up the little cookie sleeve and have one, I'm like, "Mm, well, I've had one. Oh, I've had three. Well, what the hell? I might as well just finish this whole sleeve. Yeah. And I think a sleeve is the serving size, as far as I'm concerned. Right? <laughs> yeah. So are you you're a tag-along gal? Or? I am. I am a peanut butter tag-along. Okay. Or the mint. I like the mint cookies, too. I was going to say. What I about do, you? I'm a thin mint guy. The thing is, um, you, know, you can get Girl Scout style cookies, and it's like Keebler brand or whatever. Uh, the grasshoppers. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're great and they're cheaper and you don't have to wait until this time of year, which is a blessing in disguise because like that's how I ended up with the love handles that we talked about earlier. That's in the that's in the outtakes, by the way. So keep listening all the way through. But the funny thing too is um we or I ran into uh Mindy and her daughter selling Girl Scout cookies at Walmart the other day. And Elizabeth thought I was buying cookies because I was chatting. She didn't know who was in there. And when I came out, she expected me to have like a bunch of Girl Scout cookies, but I had none. Oh, oh no. I tried to stay away. I was That's trying, a husband fail. <laughs> I'm, trying to, uh, I'm trying to be healthy here. I'll eat the whole thing. So anyway, the what the hell effect. Has this come into play for you specifically at any time? Can you just the cookies? And financially, I know there are times that, especially recently, I remodeled the top of my house. And when I was going through the remodeling process, there were so many things that were out of stock or hard to get, and I didn't want to wait. And that, it felt like the what the hell effect where I was like, well, I'm going to overpay for this thing because it has to get done. So- what the hell? And because I'm already overpaying for this piece, I'm going to end up overpaying for this piece and going over budget, not because I wanted to, but because that's how you just kind of feel defeated. And once you throw in the towel, it's easy to continue down that path. And you kind of need something to disrupt your thought process to bring you back to center. Mm -hmm. What disrupted your thought process to get you back? I think once you look at the numbers, once you look at your spending and you're like, oh, this in comparison to my budget, this is not what I was hoping to accomplish. So it's a good reminder. What about you? What brings you back to center? I I think when my stomach starts hurting after eating all those cookies and I'm like, whoa, no. I, I think maybe just like stepping away and getting a little distance mm-hmm. from whatever it is. So- I haven't purchased a brand new car or anything, but I can see this is a perhaps a good analogy. So when you're going in, you're buying a car, and it's really easy to start adding on those additions, those extras that th- they weren't in the price that you agreed to with the financing or whatever. But then you're like, yeah, I'll get the uh, 
the rust proofing under uh, undercarriage sealant or whatever, and then they're throwing on a bunch of other things, and you're like, sure, I'll get the, I don't know, extra floor mats or something like that. And all of a sudden, you're paying a lot more. But in, in comparison to the the whole thing, it's like, ah, oh, it's only another $200, but it's like $200 that you didn't need to spend that mm-hmm. could be applied elsewhere. And, you know, maybe you could buy the same floor mats for like 50 bucks at the store if you just went and bought it yourself. So, and I, I think maybe the last time that we actually went through something was like when we purchased the house because you're spending so much money. And it wasn't like directly on the house, but it would be like, oh, we have to do some landscaping. And then like all of a sudden you're like, sure, I'll get the extra thing here and there and whatever. So hopefully, you know, as as time goes on, you're able to like budget for it, Mm -hmm. knowing that weird stuff is going to happen. I liked your point. It's pausing, right? It's practicing the pause. So before I make this decision, I'm going to pause. I'm going to think about this and I'm going to think about how it fits in my overall goals. And, you know, someone gave a great example of how if they want something, they put it on a list on their phone and then they have to wait 30 days from the date that they put it on the list before they'll purchase it. And they're like, by the time 30 days has gone around, I don't even want it anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's all about that pause. Nice. Next is social proof. So this is the desire to be like others and influence the perceived group behavior. Social proof uh, is a cognitive bias that describes our tendency to conform to the actions of others, especially in social settings. So how have you seen that come into play with FIRE? So this is non-FIRE related, but I was thinking, didn't you recently get another tattoo? I I did, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That feels like a very big social proof thing, especially in Colorado, where it's po- ev- almost everyone has a tattoo. So, yeah. you know, it's like, how do I be part of the norm? Well, I want to be part of the norm by doing what everyone else is doing. And even here, you know, last time we really geeked out about Longmont and how amazing Longmont is to live in. I still think that I kind of want everyone to come visit and to move here because it's amazing. And that's part of the reason is that we all want to be like each other and everyone is working towards towards having freedom of their time so that they can do more things that bring them joy. And that social proof that it can be done is why we have so many blogs in this space. That's why it's why the people listening are listening to your podcast, because you've proven that this can be done. Choose FI has proven that this can be done. And we want that social proof that we're not alone, that other people are doing this and we can too. And I've definitely talked to a few people that didn't have any real examples of people that retired in their community or like anyone that they knew or even like a second degree of separation. So like having these examples online that you can see goes a really long way, especially when you could I- identify like that person came from the same industry as me and they had a similar career path. And then you realize that there's nothing special about that person probably. And you could probably do it too. Mm-hmm. And if you don't see the example, then it can feel really weird. Some people do it on their own without any examples. And I've met a few folks like that too, where um, yeah, basically they, they realized they had enough money and they're like, Hey, I'm going to stop working. And then, Later, they found other people that were doing the same thing. 
So social proof is so powerful just from like a marketing standpoint as well. Like that is one of the things that you want to make sure like you're showing that other people like endorse you or believe in your cause or whatever it is that you're working on. Yeah. Has it had any, um, it can have a negative effect too. Yeah, I think it can absolutely have a negative effect. I think about the small town that I grew up in and everyone does the same thing day after day after day and they're afraid to speak up because they're afraid that someone might not agree. And we were talking before the podcast about people that don't retire until they're 65 because they think that's what they have to do. Or when I moved away, my parents were just amazed that I wouldn't want to live in this small town and have, you know, a husband, a white picket fence, two kids, a cat and a dog and a snowmobile. (laughs) (laughs) And that wasn't the life for me. So I think it can be hard for some people when they see the social proof of what is quote unquote normal and feeling like they have to make those choices and do those things when it's not who they are. It's not what they want. It's not the life that brings them joy. And further, you know, thinking about keeping up with the Joneses Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. If you're working at a company where like when people get a promotion, they're like, should I buy a new house or like it's time to get a new car or whatever sort of based on, you know, not needs or like real desires that would make them happier, but it's just, that's the culture. You get a a newer car whenever you get the promo. Um, Fortunately for me, I didn't get promoted that much. So it was pretty easy. Uh, I didn't have to do that. Yeah, you didn't have to think about what am I going to do with this extra money? Yeah. But um, that was a joke. Yeah. Was flat. But basically, basically, it can, it can for sure. And, and I have seen friends where they like got, they, they did get new cars, like, or get the third, third car, which is like a sports car. That was like a splurge with some of my friends. And I have a sports car. I don't know. Small package. I, I'm not sure. What do, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> that was a better joke. <laughs> Thanks. You got to keep hitting, you know, and sometimes or keep swinging. Sometimes you can. <laughs> so yeah, so that that was for sure like a thing. And, I mean, we were like younger then too, but um, I think some of them have gotten over it. But the, I mean, the people that kind of stayed within their means, of course, and like started saving more, like they're way better off um, in the long run, of course. So yeah, anything else with social proof? No, I think if you are looking for social proof, look to be in a community that's doing the things that you want to do. And that way, the social proof is serving you and not taking away. Next is friction cost. And this is the deterrent effect of small barriers to taking action. And, you know, I'm thinking about some conversations that I've had recently. And I think actually it's around tax season when we're recording this and by the time this will come out as well. And just thinking about like some of the investment strategies that we have to plan for and think about and how complicated the taxes are. Like it, like it is such a deterrent for me, especially now that I'm getting deeper into all the ideas. I mean, luckily we we thought of this beforehand, but like I see it as a kind of a big barrier. And even like um, I'm going deep in the weeds, but even like HSAs, right? It's a health savings account. It's like 
healthcare related, but people are using it not as intended. They're using it as a retirement investment vehicle. Like, why is it so complicated? Why, why do they do that? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And that is a big deterrent, especially if you hear me talking about it, you're like, oh, I don't want to set one up. Well, it's probably not that bad to set one up and keep track, but at the same time, shouldn't there be a simpler way? So I I see the friction costs like very apparently, and it could be setting up a 401k, uh, maybe figuring out like how you want to invest uh, specifically. There's just a lot of barriers. Now, have you have you seen some evidence of this? Yeah. Just as you were talking, I was thinking about the friction that you can create on your own to make it harder to take money out. So if you are a natural spender, maybe you don't have your account attached to, you know, your ongoing funds. You know, I know a lot of people that they have a spending account that's completely separate, helps them keep track. They don't have to worry about it. They know, okay, this is all that I have. And I've created enough friction that I don't want to transfer more money into this account for spending. I think that's a great way to use friction in your on your behalf. I think we do get caught up with friction. As you were talking to, I was thinking about insurance, like how hard it is to select which insurance you want. When you have to switch insurance, there has to be some big life event. You're thinking, oh, I mean, I'm not going to go through any of that. So what's the easiest option for me? Right. And Sometimes I think because of that friction, we just don't do anything. We just kind of continue with status quo versus saying, nope, I can do this. And using friction for the plus and for the minus, I think that's what it is with all of these behavioral economics things is you have to use it for what good it is and try to try to take the negatives out because friction can be a great thing. You know, if we go back to the love handles and the Girl Scout cookies, if the Girl Scout cookies are tucked away in the freezer and you can't get to them or you don't buy them, then you've created enough friction that you're not going to eat them. Yeah. And how do you do that with your money? You know, you can just kind of transfer things. Perfect example. And I want to point out that just having them in the freezer, I mean, that's no deterrent. I I cannot have them in the house. Um, But you're 100% right. I love it that you mentioned like, there's a pro and a con and you have to like use these biases to your advantage and everyone's a little different. So some people can, you know, they don't want to eat cold cookies. So that's going to be all right. But yeah, that's perfect. I mean, create more friction, hide your credit, like freeze your credit cards and, and ice or whatever. And then you can't use them. It's huge pain in the ass. Yep. So Exactly. Delete all of your saved payment information so that you actually have to go out and physically get your credit card before you just hit purchase on your Amazon. You know, all of those things that can definitely serve you. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else with friction costs. And and I'm actually, I am thinking of one of my friends who has kind of set up their own friction. So they actually do have a 401k and they are putting money in. And and I was like, that's fantastic. I'm glad that you did that. You have the money invested in something, right? And they're like, no, I'm not. I I didn't do that yet. Like, I'm not sure what to do, which leads us to our next one. So part of it is like friction that they've set up on their own. But the real thing is decision paralysis. And usually you have a choice of so many funds, specifically for this case, uh, in a 401k, 
like it's endless, like basically more than you can really review or make any kind of good decision on. So she's not making any decision at all, which is kind of what happens when you're presented with too many choices and you're confused and you don't know what to do. You just don't make any decision and the money's just sitting there in her account, which is terrible. It is. And it's also completely understandable, I think. And some people will hear that and think, that's not understandable at all. Like, why aren't you doing something? And I think because when you're not confident, and in my full-time job, I see this a lot where people, they don't have financial confidence. And because they don't have the financial confidence, they go and they ask Google and they look at Reddit and they ask their friends and they get 20,000 different answers, really. (laughs) It's not even 20. It's like you get a million different answers and then you don't know what to do. And because you don't know what to do, it's easier to focus on the other things in your life that you do know what you're doing. So it's like, well, I could do that or I could go out for a run or I could do that or I don't know, maybe I'll just turn on this Netflix show. I've heard Severance is great. You know, I think people find other things to do because this is hard and you get so many conflicting opinions and so much information that it can feel impossible for some people, especially if you are not confident in your decisions or not confident in what's happening. What do you do when you get stuck via decision paralysis? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think everyone has a different answer. For me, I have a couple of trusted people that I will go to and I will ask for their advice. And that way I don't feel like I'm consulting Google. I'm not consulting Reddit. I'm not getting too many opinions. I'm getting one to two trusted opinions and then I give myself a deadline. So I'll actually put stuff on the calendar. If I have to make a decision, I will put an hour on the calendar and I don't get to do anything else. I have to make the decision. I have to get everything done. What do you do? I I usually I usually don't have too much of an issue and part of it is I am a satisficer not an optimizer or maximizer. So if I am faced with like a ton of options, I'll usually just look at sort of like the bare minimum of what I need and then just kind of sometimes arbitrarily like narrow it down. So I'll sort of, I mean, really, I I guess I brute force my way through it and just like ignore the fact that there's so many options. And I, I I know that if there's too many choices, like I'll have a hard time. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna, narrow it down so I can make a decision. Also, I can't think of any specific examples where I went to my trusted advisors, but I probably have the same thing where I'm like, I know Carl has looked a lot more at whatever, electric vehicles or something. So I would ask him questions about something that I know he's an expert in that domain. Yeah. It's so much easier to go to someone that has already done the research and to just say, hey, what do you recommend? versus going to Google or going to Reddit and you just get so many opinions. And you don't know who they're from. It could be some, Mm-mm. you know, 12 year old kid who doesn't know anything. Yeah. It's the new, what's the GP chat? Chat, chat yeah. GPT. Chat yeah, GPT. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just making up an answer. Yeah, it's fine. Who knows? 
I think that's the hard part, though, is if we go back to social proof and you want to be like everyone else, I feel like we are so lucky to live in this community where we talk about money. The people that are listening talk about money. We have more comfort level asking for advice, saying, I don't know. And that's a really hard thing for people is to say, I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. help me, guide me. And it's easier in this community, I think. And so you don't feel like you have to be ashamed and go home and ask Google. Instead, you can you can ask Google and then say, hey, is this right? This is what I'm reading. I, I saw something for the first time the other day. I, I've never looked at a trust account. I know nothing about trusts. And I asked one of our friends, I was like, hey, you know this stuff. Help me understand this. Like, walk through this with me. And just having that beginner's mindset of what is it like to not know anything, you can learn so much that way. Mm-hmm. And I think, did you learn what you needed for the trust stuff? I did. Okay. Who did you ask? pretty interesting. I asked our friend James. Okay, cool. Amberly was telling me about some stuff too with trust. So Interesting. Yeah. Which we we need to set one up, but we have not yet. So are you going to set up a trust or? So I was looking at it as a verification of rental income. Okay. But after I read Die With Zero, that is one of the things that I was thinking about is setting up a trust or an endowment fund. I have in the back of my mind, I've been thinking, what would it be like if I could fund a city park or a running trail? Like, what would that look like? Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And one thing I'm going to point out, you mentioned the community and just being able to like have people to ask and all that. You um, organized some events with the Northern Colorado Mustachians. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you guys do coffee meetups occasionally, right? Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we do a coffee meetup in Lafayette once a month. And that's run by a gentleman named Brayden. He's fantastic. We all sit around. We just talk about whatever people want to talk about, what brought them to the coffee meetup, what questions they have around money. We also do one once a month here in Longmont. And that's at Ozo Coffee. Right now, we're looking for a different location that's a little bit more um, easier to hear. It's very hard to hear in there because the space is small. We just talk. We talk about money. We talk about life. We talk about what we want to do with our time, how we organize ideas, how we come to decisions, Mm -hmm. and what's working and what's not working. And I think that makes it so much easier because, and I use this line all the time in my regular work, but you're told not to talk about money, politics, or religion. And you have to talk about money. Like you need money. And so many people don't know what they know when it comes to money. And they're deeply married to those beliefs. And just having these conversations opens up the door to you thinking new things, to you acting differently, to you treating your money differently. And it's it really is a game changer. How many people usually show up for these? Uh, anywhere from 20 to 30. Okay, so this is a pretty good crowd. And is it good for like newcomers or like people that don't know anything or they like they're in the area or they're passing through or whatever? All of the above. It's a great way to connect with like-minded people. We really tap on each other. So if you're an expert in something, we want to hear your expertise. If you're a novice, we want to hear your question because 
we don't know. And if we all share our experiences, we're all going to grow. So that's really what we're looking for is people that are willing to come, to participate, to share, and to soak it all in so that we can continue to grow. And if people want to know when these happen, they should sign up for the meetup. Okay, so we'll put a link for the NOCO Mustachian meetup group or whatever. Yeah, and what's fantastic about that meetup group is not only are you going to get the notifications about our coffee meetups, we also do a lot at HQ. I know Carl just hosted an event at HQ that went, I've, I heard it went really great. I was out of town, but mm-hmm. um, we have regular meetups. We have happy hours. It's a really great way to make friends and to build community and to feel like you belong to something. Yeah, I usually go to the HQ events. I haven't done a coffee yet, but- uh, What are you waiting for? Yeah, (laughs) not always, but a lot of times there's like something previous in the week that like I've done an event and I'm like, I try not to do too many things or whatever. So I'll have to go sometime. I love coffee. So, okay, moving on. Next one is- default bias. So people pick the easiest option to avoid complex decisions using defaults as a cognitive shortcut and a signal for what they are supposed to do. I feel like this is pretty similar to decision paralysis. And I think about how many people live in the same town that they grew up in, or just take the job that was offered to them or stay in their job. I mean, I've been with my organization for 17 years. And I do wonder sometimes if part of that is default bias, you know, where I like my job, it's great. And so I just stay. Yeah. Where do you see it? The like default bias in general, like one of the the big things that jumps out in the personal finance space is the people or the companies rather that enroll their employees in the 401k by default versus like making them opt in. I don't remember the study. Some people are probably do, but it's like, I don't know. It's like 20% versus 80%, something -hmm. like that. And they're used to it right off the bat. The money's withdrawn and they're, they're in good shape. Of course they have to make sure that they um, invest and don't just like let it pile up. But I mean, that is a very clear, very clear that hits the pocketbook like right away. I know a lot of times when I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of specific things, but like when I'm enrolling on something online, yeah, usually I'm just like, I'm keeping all this stuff default. I don't want to make a decision Mm -hmm. right now. Like I don't have time to like investigate everything. So I usually will go, hopefully the defaults are usually pretty good. And it's the same thing with the states that opt you in automatically for organ donation versus the ones that don't. Because you're like, oh, it's harder to get out than to just default into whatever that is. Can you think of any others that are sort of like on the positive side? So I like the retirement contribution. And I know our our organization will continue to do a 1% increase. If you don't opt out, which is, I think, pretty fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else is a really great default where if you just continue on, it ends up being for the best. I guess I struggle with this one because I, I think it's similar to the ostrich effect. where out of sight, out of mind. And most of the time, that's really great. And 
I also think it's helpful to look at everything to just make sure you're not defaulting into something that's not serving you. Mm-hmm. I guess one one way to hack it would be like if you get a raise or something like that, that mm-hmm. you automatically invest it or save it or put it into your post-tax brokerage account or something as long as you have a plan and then you just keep your budget the same. Not exactly the same as like just going by default, but you're like, Here's the budget, here's our expenses, and then yeah, invest. I'm the gonna rest. keep it the same and the default is to take this three percent and automatically put it into my retirement. Yeah. And I think that that goes against the traditional social norm of what you were talking about before we started, which is oh, I got a raise, I'm gonna get a new car. I got a raise, I'm gonna get a bigger house. I got a raise, what am I gonna do with this money? Instead of making the default work to your advantage where you just set it up. Okay, as soon as I get my raise, my retirement contribution is increased. Yep. One uh, negative, I think you mentioned this earlier, was the retirement age. So, like, the default is to, you know, work into your 60s. And if you just, you know, stick with that, you may be working a lot longer than you need to. Yeah. And then you just don't have the time freedom. And if, If that's what you want, that's okay. You just don't want to default into it. You want to make sure it's a conscious decision. Yep, exactly. Next one coming up is the disposition effect. And we were chatting about this one earlier. So we're we're going to see how it goes. If you have any thoughts or comments on this one, let us know. So this one per definition is people have a habit of holding on to poor investments too long and selling good investments too soon. So... Fairly straightforward in the context of FIRE as far as like literally holding on to investments that you shouldn't. But many of us are in index funds and we're not necessarily like holding on to an individual stock that was pure speculation. So I'm not sure if it hits us as hard, but it depends on your investment strategies. Do you have any you know thoughts on this disposition yeah. idea? So when I was reading this, I was thinking... How do you just stay the course? Because that's what we all talk about is you just need to stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. And I think sometimes we do let money become emotional and then we make decisions versus thinking about what our long-term goals are, whether or not this fits, what it looks like. And it is that, you know, we talked about the pause before, but maybe it's really just about being deliberate. You know, I want to be intentional with what I'm doing. and. When you have these things that are happening, are you making an emotional decision or are you making a well thought out, this is good for me kind of decision? Yeah, that's perfect. And one thought I I know, actually I could think of a couple friends. They're a couple years younger, a few years younger than me. And I don't think they've gone through like some recessions or ups and downs, but I am old enough like I, and I had some, uh, investments in, during the dot com bubble. Like d- while I was interning, I was actually working at a company where like we w- we had like stock purchase plan and like four hundred one k like full benefit kind of stuff. So it was a company called Nortel, which was like awesome for a bit, and then it like totally crashed. And so I, I remember a few ups and downs, starting with that one, and then you know a great recession. We had a couple hiccups along the way. Uh, the point being, I've been through some ups and downs, 
And I have some friends who are terrified right now when the market's down or has been sort of teetering on a recession, however you want to define it. And they are, number one, pulling money out. Horrible time to pull money out. They're like, they're putting, they're putting their losses on paper now by selling. They're like, that, that's, that's a loss now. And then they're also not investing anymore. So they're just like hoarding cash. And we're also going through inflation. So they're and, like hitting themselves twice. And so if you pull on that thread a little more, what do you think is making them do that? What is motivating them to make those decisions? Yeah, it's the, you know, par- partially the scarcity mindset, I think. And then, um, you know, their disposition is emotional, just like you said. Like they are looking at it and they're seeing that they're losing money and they don't want to do that anymore. So they're pulling money out of the market. And this is something I wonder about for our community is that how do you encourage people to make different decisions? How do you help them realize that they're being emotional and maybe operating from that scarcity mindset versus, hey, this is, this is okay. We've been through this before. We're going to get through this. If you look at this research, if you look at this, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's sending our friends and family members that are making these decisions information about what's happened in the past and how cyclical this can be and what it looks like. Maybe it's having more of these conversations. I do wonder, though, like, how do we keep ourselves from making emotional decisions and also help others? Yeah. Well, don't laugh at them and tell them they're making a huge mistake. What I did, because those were real examples. So one person is uh, less savvy. So I was like, hey, actually, like, now's a reasonable time to like, actually continue investing. If you, if you buy in, right, I'm not saying this is right. But if you buy in that generally, the total index, the total stock market is going to be more valuable in the future. And you have a long enough timeline. So I was like, yeah, just take a look. The other person who was a lot more like financially savvy, I was a little surprised and I was like, hey, you should probably think about. And I'm like, I'm in, I invested more in 2022 than I did the like whatever preceding three years just because I was like, oh, the market's down like 20%. That was a good time to buy. And I saw some stats that showed like right after the three recessions that I cited earlier, like there were a couple years of like 20 or 30% growth, right? Like, so the markets were awful, right? They go down a huge amount, but they recover usually in the next few years. So I I showed him that and I'm like, yeah, we're down right now, but like in the next few years, it's going to go up. And he's like, well, I'm just, you know, I want to wait a little longer. He's trying to time the market, which I'm like, dude, you, like you're not going to be able to do it. You're, you're going to be too, whenever whenever it looks like it's safe for you to invest, that's too late. So there's a couple of things that I'm just going to pull out of there. So one, you're providing social proof, right? right. Like yeah. you're going back and you're saying, hey, this is like, here's me as an example. Here are some other examples. This is what's happened in the past. Here's some social proof of how you can make a different decision, which I love. And the other thing, I don't know if, if you've ever talked on the podcast about empathy blockers. So 
empathy is such a buzzword lately, but essentially empathy is just meeting someone where they are, you know, having a conversation, making sure people feel heard and feel listened to. And one of the biggest things that you can do to stop a conversation is to throw an empathy blocker. And an empathy blocker is just shutting someone down, you know, not believing them, not hearing them, not repeating back to them what you've heard them say and making sure you understand. And you did a great job with your friend of not being, not laughing, not being like, are you nuts? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But instead, just learning more. Like, hey, help me understand your mindset. What are you thinking right now? Hey, let's look at this from some other perspectives. How much longer do you have? So I think all that is really cool because you're right. If they have a long enough time frame, their mindset's going to be different than if they're retiring tomorrow. Right. And actually, I forgot. I was like, dude, you're you're not even planning on touching that for like 30 years, right? And he's like, no. I'm like, then who cares about like a two-year swing where it's down? Like, go ahead. And, yep. I, and by the end, and I didn't push too hard. I was like, hey, like investing's weird. Like everyone treats it differently. But you should really think about it. And he did, he was like, oh, I'm going to start dollar cost averaging like 10K a month or whatever to get it into the market. I don't know if you followed through, but that's what he told me. So, okay, cool. Anything else on the disposition effect? No, I think we should move on to goal gradient theory. So this is about how people will work harder to achieve a goal as it gets closer. It's kind of cool. So they get more motivated as they're getting right next to the finish line. Yeah, because you can actually see it. I think about this when I'm running races, because when you know you're down to that last mile, all of a sudden you don't care about anything that happened before. You just, you know, you're like, ooh, we're getting close. And I, I used to run. I used to run some. And I loved it. I would have so much in reserve and I would love to pass people on the last like mile or like just leading. I I would like target someone and I'm like, I am going to outrun that person. And yeah, it's a great feeling like right when you're there. And it's, those were probably the hardest times that I I ran. Of course, now I have this pesky injury and I'm old now. So Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) I know Dusty, I know. When's, when's the last time you ran? Uh, yesterday. Okay. How far? 10. Nice. And that's kind of your, you're in that sort of mid range, like you do like eight to whatever, 15 or something. Yeah. Mid range is perfect for me. Nothing crazy. Okay. So, and then I'll run after we're done today because nice. it's beautiful out. It is nice out there. So yeah. What do, what do you see with this goal gradient? I think it's just like you said, when you get close to that finish line, it's more motivating. So when you are close to your fire number, when you are close to knowing that you know, I have two months to work or gosh, this is, I am almost to the goal that I had. It's so much easier to just start socking money away or working a little bit harder, hustling a little more because you know it's coming. On the downside, I'll fill in a little bit for Carl. He's mentioned a couple times that he, you know, hated his job so much or was having such a tough time that he could not wait to retire and wanted to do it as soon as possible and really put all his efforts towards re- retiring early. The funny thing is he he continued to work after he re- reached the goal. 
So I don't know how that reconciles, but I think on the downside, you maybe could be too aggressive when you're really close to your goal. And I do wonder too, I mean, like you said, people get excited, they're getting closer, it's easier for them to like cut back. One of the issues with goals is like once you get there, then what? So have you seen that play out? Do you know anyone specifically, and you don't have to mention their name or anything, where they like hammered it, reached the goal, and then they're like, okay, now what? Yeah. And they don't know what to do with themselves. And I have people that, you know, they continue working or they continue doing things because they don't know what's next. And I don't, I love this about the coffee meetups. We have those conversations. You know, what does a great day look like for you? And you can use, I always use sticky notes, but I love just jotting down in a perfect week, what are all the things that I would do? Who are the people that I would talk to? What does that look like? Because day to day might be different, but what are the big things that I want to have? And what is that? Most things don't cost any money. But I think about, you asked me about running, like that's part of my great day. And something I just, I want to have in there and I want to have time with friends. I want to have connection. So knowing what you're running to, that can be huge. I don't know. Have you thought about that at all? Like, did you have any, did you have a hard time when you stopped working or when you've cut back? When, when I stopped working, I, well, technically I I still work a little bit, but I got laid off. So it was super easy. They were like, don't come back. So (laughs) I, I, it made it much easier because it would have been hard to actually quit. But, you know, to your point, I have, I don't have this goal gradient issue other than like apparently races, foot races. I have been, tapering off on work for a few years. So I think once I reached a certain point, I realized, because I have like my foot in the entrepreneurship area. So I have some friends who are like, I want to grow the biggest business I can, which didn't make sense to me because I'm like, what are you going to do with more money? It's just a lot more stress and it's like a pissing contest. Like it doesn't really matter at all. Yeah. And then on the other side, I realized I'd rather have like the good days like you're talking about. So I just started coasting and I'm like, if I could maintain sort of the status quo and maybe not work quite as much, that's going to be better. And that has worked out really well. Rewind to college years. I I was an okay student. I'm, I'm a decent test taker, but I'm an okay student. But I realized that I didn't want to graduate right away, even though like I could get a job paying well. I was like, you know what? This is not that bad. I'm actually going to take like the minimum number of hours that I can. Um, so I, I like stretched it out probably with, like two extra terms that like were not necessary if I was maybe a little smarter or could work harder. I, I don't know. Or I wanted to. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, at some point, I did make a decision and I was like, oh, I could squeeze it in and graduate like a little bit earlier or I could just stretch it out. So I stretched it out and I think I it served me well and it was a good example of just like, there's no rush, like enjoy the ride. So I was like, this is way more fun than when I was busting my ass like for the first three years. So I, I guess I knew like 
hey, there's no rush. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to beat anyone else. It's my own race here, and I can set the parameters up however I want. And it made it much easier. So yeah, I, I didn't have that uh, issue. And I'm like trying to work less and less all the time. Well, and I like that theory too. It's similar to what your wife is doing, you know, just taking one step back and then one step back so that you can fill that time slowly and really figure out what what makes you happy instead of just, okay, I'm done. Now what? Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, for the people that don't know, which probably most of you, Elizabeth will be going to three days per week. And that that's a big, huge shift. Um, which, I mean, she negotiated it and had some decent leverage. The leverage being, uh, I don't think anyone at her company listens, but basically like she didn't need the job. So she could just quit if they didn't give her what she asked for, which is like, I mean, that's kind of what you need. Otherwise, yeah. if you ask for it and they don't do it, then you're just kind of stuck there unless you leave. We are kind of stuck yeah. saying, just kidding. Yeah. I actually really need this job. <laughs> Yeah. Don't tell anyone. So, yeah, that goal gradient, very, very interesting. And I think maybe we could wrap it up here. So, it's always these biases are so interesting once you read over them, think about specific mm-hmm. applications, and then like how it impacts you, or you could observe it in other people. Based on the stuff we talked about today, is there anything that you're going to maybe try to work on or? Yeah, I feel like I'm always working on something, but I really liked the friction. And I think figuring out how to add more good friction in my life is going to be one of my big takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I, sadly, I'm going to steal yours too. I mean, that is one of them that is really easy to set up to deter you from doing like dumb things. Mm -hmm. So... I can think how I, I do it. Um, I'm looking at like my office. So I like try to set up the environment um, for success. It's messy. So Dusty's like, <laughs> what kind of success are you try- trying to achieve here? But, you know, just setting um, like snack foods or whatever. Like I'm thinking of food because listen to the outtakes yeah. here. But basically like that's that's a big one or make it easy to work out. Like little things like that, mm-hmm. which you know, for me, working out is not too bad. Like I have that system kind of dialed in, but I know there's some other things that I could probably do. And a lot of it is, you know, diet related. It's much easier for me to like work out and be enthusiastic to like get to the gym versus, um, sadly, when I think about eating well, it it seems more like deprivation because I want to eat all the stuff that uh, we crave. And I love like pizza, hamburgers and fries. And, you know, I walk by the Chick-fil-A over here it smells so good. It's ridiculous. So, can only walk by there on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Except that sadly, I walk by like twice a day, like almost every day, you know, walking Georgie and it smells so good. Yeah. It does. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, um, just, just to sort of segue into the outtakes, what's your like favorite dessert? Ooh, absolute favorite dessert is ice cream. And if you're in the Denver area, there is a place called Happy Cones that is amazing. It is the best ice cream I've ever had. Let's I'm be glad specific. Not, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm what glad kind that of ice it's cream? not close. Okay. <laughs> it's it's soft serve and real fruit. Okay. And they mix it together and it is 
incredible. So it's a good thing they don't have one in Longmont. Yeah. Try not to come to Longmont, please, Happy Cones. Yes. What's yeah. your favorite? I I love cheesecake. Uh, um, tell them about your cake pie oh, yeah. craziness. We, my brother-in-law sends us uh, something called a pie cake. So it's like a turducken. So there's a. A what? A, a turducken. Yeah. Do you know that? No. So it's a, a turkey, a duck, and a chicken. So that, that's like the origin. What? Yeah. They it, like they put them inside each other or something like that. Oh. Yeah. Have you not heard of them? <laughs> yeah. Turducken. Yeah. No, that's the origin. So turducken. We'll look up pictures later uh, when we okay. finish here. Uh, yeah. It's like a Christmas or Thanksgiving thing. Turducken. So this is a pie caken. So it's a dessert and it's a pecan pie. And then a cheesecake and then a uh, red velvet cake on top with uh, lots of, I believe it's cream cheese icing. And it is fantastic. So good. When we got it the first year, we, uh, Elizabeth and I, just two of us, ate the whole thing. What? And like, no joke, like two days. You guys, if you are watching this on video, this stack of books is about the size of the cake. (laughs) It's very tall. It's ridiculous. And this year we got it and we, we put it in the freezer. And then you, you were, we were at a dinner party. Um, thanks, Amberly. And we brought it there. So you were able to try some of mm-hmm. the pie cake, and, which is delicious. But I mean, if I just had to guess, I have a number in my head of like what I think one slice is. What, how many calories do you think that is? I was thinking... Twenty three ninety five. Okay, and I was going to say like eighteen hundred. So I bet it's like two thousand calories, like a day, a day of calories for like what I need to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you could eat it in like three minutes. And I would. We were eating like two slices a day. It was sickening. It was so good. Cake for breakfast. Yeah, I grew up so my mom decorated cakes my entire childhood, uh, and that was her side hustle. So. If you make a cake, you have to make it square. So you're always like cutting off the edges. Oh, yeah. And that would be our breakfast. <laughs> like cake. Cake and frosting. Yeah. My friends would come over and she would make roses on their fingers, like frosting roses. Oh, really? So do you have some of the decorating skills? hmm nice. Yep. So if anyone needs a amateur cake, I can I can whip up something fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Dusty, this has been fun. And I think we'll have, I mean, we have like several more to do. So I'll invite you back sometime soon if you're willing to come on. I'm in. All right. Well, thanks. And uh, can people find you anywhere? Do you want them to find you anywhere? Yeah. So Instagram actually shut down my account, but I have a new Instagram account. It's Dustina Louise. So you can find me on Instagram or you can find me on Facebook as Dusty Nicole. And as Doug alluded to, there is also a podcast called Side Dish, which I was on recently. So you can check that out too. Yeah, we'll link up to all those places so you can get to it. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon, Dusty. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, Tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. 
It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. Have you ever done like a long period fast of like more than 24 hours or whatever? No, have you? I'm doing it right now. So I'm on like hour 42 of a 44 hour fast. So the only thing holding me back from eating is us talking right now. Oh, (laughs) what made you decide that you were going to do a 42 or 44 hour fast? I've been a little interested in doing it for like over 24 hours for a little while, but I didn't have like a good opportunity. And my wife, Elizabeth, is out of town right now. Usually she, like we eat meals together and I do all the cooking, Mm -hmm. but I was like, now will be a good opportunity to give it a shot. And a couple of my friends, uh, Carl and uh, David Boyer, they did, I think, a three-day fast, so a 72-hour fast a couple weeks ago, a month ago or whatever. And, you know, they got a lot out of it. So I was like, eh, I don't want to do that long, but I'll try like 36-hour, 44, something like that. And it just works out well. Um, so I ate on Tuesday evening for dinner, and then I'm going to eat, you know, mid-afternoon today. And do you work out when you're fasting or is that against the rules? Is it? You can. So I actually worked out on after like 16 hours or something like that. Um, Not as hard, but at that point, you know, just 16 hours later, I still had, you know, plenty of energy and didn't feel like fatigued or tired or anything like that. You... You know, I think if you go longer, I'm not an expert, but if you go longer, I think it's supposed to be really important to do strength training so you don't lose muscle as you're mm-hmm. um, fasting. But I didn't do anything too crazy, just got a lot of steps in and walked around. And that's Georgie, which I guess I'll have to take away her toy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I. I've been drinking a ton of water, electrolyte, electrolytes, and like salt and stuff to make sure that I don't get headaches or anything like that. And how are you feeling? Great. I actually feel fine. So mentally, I was prepared for it. So yesterday, I was totally fine. I was hungry a couple times, but drank plenty of water. And then today, I've been like a little more hungry. But I mean, I think I actually could go um, a little bit longer One thing I noticed that Carl had mentioned is after about, I guess it was 30 hours, I felt colder. So like last night Mm. I was like much cooler than I 
normally am at night. Like I sleep hot, but I was like cold last night. That's interesting. Yeah. So do you intermittent fast occasionally? I do. I think a long fast makes me a little nervous because that would, I'm like, hmm, could I still run eight miles? Or would I have to take days off? You maybe, you would maybe need to take a day off. Because you're, I mean, you know how much fat. So I think you wouldn't have as many reserves to draw upon. So I don't know. I think you might have to have something or at least like load up like the day before Mm -hmm. so that you have like plenty of like glycogen or whatever. Or maybe do the fasting mimicking diet. Have you heard of that where they have the nut bars? So essentially it's just a very low glycemic index bar where it's not supposed to provoke any type of insulin response. Okay. That would work. Yeah. Or just have like fat and protein, basically. Mm-hmm. I bet that would work. They actually do very low protein. So also, it's more, yeah, it's more fat than anything else. Gotcha. Your dog is so cute. It's distracting. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to, job, we'll lock George. her away before too long here. Yeah, so I'll let you, uh, I mean, I know right off the bat, I mean, I was hoping to like lose like maybe a couple pounds maybe it doesn't really matter much but i really wanted to like lose a little fat along the way Mm. i yeah because i don't care about my weight too much it's just i want to like recomposition a little bit but we'll see how it goes i don't take it too seriously but i have been trying to eat a little bit better not so many sweets which is really tough because elizabeth is always making she's she's making cookies all the time yeah and i love this i'll eat (laughs) All of it. Like, if it's around, I'll just eat the whole thing. So, like, 40 cookies or whatever, it's, I I like them a lot. Yeah. I get that. We went out to eat last night and the waitress kept bringing these caramel salted truffles because we were there for a long time talking after. And so she just kept bringing more and more and more. And it's like, ah, you have to stop. Like, I know they're tiny, but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kept bringing them. It's like uh, endless breadsticks at Olive yes. Garden. Where was it? <laughs> Bumble and Hair in Boulder. Okay, I don't know that one. It's, it's a cute little swanky place. It's very yeah. upscale. And the waitress had to deal with somebody that was a little cranky. And so we had given her kudos on how well she took care of it. Oh. And so I think that's why she just kept bringing us dessert. The longer we stayed, the more she's like, here you go. (laughs) And I I would just endlessly eat them. It's crazy. It's a problem. You could just eat all the sweets forever. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'll um, I'll let you know how it goes. I Did you measure like for inches to see how many inches you're going to lose? No, I didn't. Not very scientific at all. Um, When I weighed myself this morning, I think I was down about six pounds. Wow. Which is fucking nuts. I did not expect that. So yeah, yeah I was like 160, 154 this morning. Holy cow. Yeah. And I mean, I can see it like normally I have a little. Uh, love handles? Yeah, love handles. I don't know. You, you could just see it. It's a little softer. But yeah, I was like, yeah, I could literally tell a little bit slimmer. So I don't know, probably part of it's like water weight. And as soon as I eat, it's just going to like suck back on. But I, I'm making, I'm going to have like a pretty 
healthy diet, like not a lot of carbs. And so, what are you making as your breakfast meal? So, eventually, we'll have to get to the episode. But it's funny; I could just talk about this stuff all day long. So, I saw a. I was trying to find like um, a pizza recipe that didn't have like mm. pizza, even though I love like baking bread and stuff like that. So. On YouTube, I found a recipe for it's a chicken pizza crust, right? Oh, Have you seen this? Yes. Okay. So I put a little almond flour in there. I made some chicken the other day. So I just like put that in a food processor, ground it up, put a few eggs in there, put some spices. And then when you came in, like that's what we can smell right now. So, and then I have some ground beef that I'll, you know, make a pizza. So I'll have like chicken and ground beef. So pretty high protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we're excited to eat. Are you leaning towards keto or ketosis? Is that part of this whole equation as well? It wasn't intentional, but when I actually looked at a list of keto food, I was like, that's pretty much what I'm trying to eat anyway. Mm -hmm. So while Elizabeth is gone, I will probably be like more in that area. I will be too strict. Um, and I don't know, I guess some people go really deep but i'm gonna eat like plenty of fruit and like other stuff that i enjoy but it's just like elizabeth loves pasta and carbs and stuff so like i try to not eat that again same deal i'll eat like yeah. a pound of pasta no problem Love well it. does your body react well to pasta my body doesn't react well to pasta it does much better with things like lamb or beef or chicken right it's not I, I do feel better when I stay away from it. If I just have like a reasonable amount, it's usually fine. But I like, yeah, so I, I think I am a little bit better just staying away from that and having more protein veggies and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I can't wait to eat. 